This is episode 14 of Real Shift Radio with special guest Kirby Skurat. Are you ready for the shift? Are you ready for security, balance, and freedom to do the things that you want to do? It all starts with the shift. My name is Dominic Labriola. I'm a real estate broker and developer, and each week I sit down to speak with the most inspiring people in the real estate industry to bring you stories of shift, successes, challenges, aha moments, and overall best practices to help you live your best life. This is Real Shift Radio. Welcome back, Shifters. I'm very excited to bring you this episode of Real Shift Radio with Kirby Skurat of Remax Results in Plymouth, Minnesota. Kirby and I met in 2011 when I was the Director of Business Development at Tiger Lead Solutions. I actually sold Kirby his first lead generating license to use that platform. I've admired the way that Kirby and his wife Christina have grown their business over the years that I've known them, and I wanted to have Kirby on the platform to have him share his journey through real estate, along with the way that they've set up their business. Kirby shares the structure of their business and how they've grown their operation into a highly productive machine. Kirby's an incredibly systems-oriented guy, and you'll hear how he uses systems and measurements to track and grow their business. More importantly, he shares how he used his real estate sales to become a real estate investor, which ultimately will allow him to get out of the rat race. I think you're going to enjoy this episode, so let's get to it. Kirby Scarrat, thank you for joining me here on Real Shift Radio. You and I have been friends for probably about, I would say, going on five years now. I was actually the guy who sold you your Tiger Lead license when you joined Tiger Lead in 2010, 2011? 2011, yep. Okay. We were, you were the one that, that uh, worked us through the painstaking process of making the first major investment in our real estate business. And, awesome. And we're grateful for it. So. Well, I appreciate it. I'm grateful to know you and I am very excited to share your story of just massive success since then with the audience here. And, uh, and so you and your wife, Christina, have the Kirby and Christina real estate experts team at Remax Results in Plymouth, Minnesota, right? Yeah. Yep. We're, we're in Plymouth. We're in a suburb of Minneapolis. It's a first ring suburb. And it's uh, it's about seventy thousand people, and the uh, the kind of we're, we're the leading team in Plymouth. But we've sold this year um, two hundred and sixty homes already, and last year we did two hundred and sixty six homes. So, you know, being that we're only in you know August, it's it's pretty awesome to be to be where we're at. That is a giant amount of transactions in a single year. So, two hundred and sixty six yeah. homes. You're looking at. Basically, almost every other day, you've got something happening more than frequently. Uh, so, let's let's back up a little bit. If you can tell me more about uh, your previous career, if if you had one, and and what you did to bring you to real estate, and then if you can tell me more about that process, I think that'd be interesting for the listeners to hear. Yeah. So in two thousand eight. Um... I started in real estate. Before that, I was uh, I was working at General Mills, and so 2005, graduated from college, went to uh, went to General Mills, got recruited, recruited the, one of the biggest firms in the Minneapolis metro, and you know I had the the joys of corporate America, but with that came kind of the 
the lack of freedom, and I just really wanted to make sure that I did what I always dreamed of doing, which was owning some sort of a business, being an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. getting into real estate was something I was always passionate about. So evenings and weekends, I at General Mills, I took my real estate classes and and decided that kind of in 2008 I would jump into commercial real estate. So I did that for the for about eight months. I was working mm -hmm. in commercial real estate for. For a company called Jones Lang LaSalle, they're a big commercial firm based out of Chicago, 30,000 employees worldwide. But to me, that just felt a lot like being at Corporate America, but now instead of pushing Cheerios, I was pushing real estate. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to get out of the Corporate America thing because it just was too slow-paced and it didn't allow for you know, the, the opportunity to just make decisions and, and the red tape of marketing ideas and all that kind of stuff just really frustrated me. So I... I literally in March of 2008, I said, I'm jumping in, which is like, the, you know, the, the market was in a tailspin downfall and I had no income and I just decided to do it. Okay. And did Christina join you immediately or when did she become a part of the business? Well, we started dating, um, in about 2008. And okay. so she was, she, she had moved to Africa in Jan or was it January, February? It was either, yeah, it was January of 2008. She moved to Africa. So Right after she moved to Africa, I was like, well, you know, we're dating long distance. I might have, you know, she's been gone for a year, so I might as well try and get this thing off the ground. And mm -hmm. if she comes back, uh, cool, and hopefully I'll have a, a business. And if, if it doesn't work out, I have nothing to lose because I have no nobody to support here. Sure. And so uh, she she did that. We, we dated long distance, and I went over there and surprised her and proposed, and we got married. And then um, in 2009, she worked at a nonprofit, and then 2010 – January or December 31st, 2010, she closed her first transaction. So her first full year with, with me in the business was 2011. Okay. Yeah. So, and so, so at that ahead. time, you, how are you getting business up to that point? Yeah. So 2008, when I jumped in, I did 13 transactions my first year. Uh, I was mainly just hustling, open houses, working any leftover stuff that people in the office just didn't want to work, like short sales. So I did a couple of short sales, negotiated those, and I literally marketed the house, got a contract, and called the bank and said, "What do I do now?" Mm -hmm. You know. And so I worked through it that way, just learning it with the grind, you know, grinding through it. 2009, I did 24 sales alone, and then 2010, 27. And when Christina joined me in 2011, at, towards the end of 2011, we, we had done about 60 sales uh, that first year we were in the business together. And she, you know, you, you talked to us about Tiger Lead in 2011. And I think throughout the kind of that process, you know, we, we then went to 120 in 2012. Mm. And so that was kind of the jump where we, we basically from doubled. 2000, yeah, we doubled. And so it was pretty cool. Um, before that though, I mean, it was open houses. It was sphere of influence. We've always had a strong sphere of influence campaign going. So we run that in our business. This year we've done 133 sales from our sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're making big strides towards, you know, half of our business coming from our sphere and half of it coming from internet lead generation or farming or whatever it might be. So, so what percentage of your business would you say is business that uh, represents a seller and business that represents a buyer. Is it pretty evenly split yep. or? 45% seller business, 55% buyer business. Okay. And you have a different model that you have created over the past few years. Uh, I'd love for you to be able to share some information about how your team actually operates uh, because you have done a really good job with 
treating your real estate business like a business, not just you working in real estate. So can, yeah. you, can you tell me your philosophy and the way that you've structured your team? In 2008, when I got in, after I left Jones and LaSalle, I read The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. That was the first book I read. And, you know, I talked about the seventh level, and I was reading all these quotes about seventh level people. And, and so I just went to work building a business based on the Millionaire Real Estate Agent model. I'm not with Keller Williams, but I do think they are a great company. And, um, and I think that they're mo- the Millionaire Real Estate Agent is one of the best books written on sales in general, let alone just the real estate industry. So put that model into place. Um, Right now, I'm not actually selling directly. I have, I've done 11 transactions this year. Um, Christina's done 122 transactions, and then our team has done the balance of the 260. So, you know, I'm at 133. So together, Christina and I have done 133, and our team has done about 130. So, okay. um, but our, our model is that we have kind of, um, we have pillars where we have a listing, listing partners, and we've got a guy on our team it's his first full year in the business this year and he's already done 35 transactions. He should hit, you know, close to 50 by the end of the year and make, make about a hundred grand. Wow. Um, and then our buyer team, we have, we have a to- for, to do all those transactions. We have a total of six agents and Christina has a full-time, um, partner that kind of helps her transact the business. So while Christina's out there going on appointments and converting leads, Bonnie's in the back office handling those leads and kind of, you know, making sure that, that the email doesn't stop moving and that people are still being serviced. Um, but we have a, a pretty strong showing agent model, which allows us to do a high, vo- high higher uh, buyer volume because we have our showing agents out in the field showing properties. That really allows for the buyer's agents to be able to do what they're, they're getting paid the most money to do, which is meet with new clients and then uh, negotiate contracts. Mm-hmm. And the other piece that's interesting about our model is we have an I, a very strong ISA and VA model where the inside sales agents are the ones that are, you know, taking a lot of the new leads and setting the appointments and the virtual assistants are the ones that are kind of, um, helping us, you know, with the day-to-day administration stuff, paperwork pushing, that kind of thing. So okay. it really frees up our agents to do a lot of the stuff that they're, they're supposed to be doing, which is, you know, closing deals and, and, um, transacting business. Okay. So, You've got a very intense, like step-by-step hiring process to bring people into your company. Um, tell me more about your school of thought behind that and, and how you crafted that. Yeah, um, it's, it's not as intense as like the recruit select model at Keller Williams. That's really intense, but yeah. it is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's basically it out. You know, you have, um, so you have an interview where you, you run a Craigslist ad, you get applicants, they have to fill out a Tony Robbins disc profile and they have to send back an application. If they don't do those two things, they're not even considered. Sure. And then um, once they, they send those back, we review their application, their disc profile, make sure that they're a good fit for the position. They're asked to do an initial interview with our operations guy and our um, HR assistant. So she used to be, Liza is our human resources kind of director. She's part-time. She used to be our full-time. She's our first hire. She was our first assistant in 2000. Um, so the year we did 60, then we did, went to 120. She was the she's joined us in in January of that year that we did 120. So, um, but she she kind of now oversees the kind of operations and financials, and Robbie, our operations guy, is is uh, involved in that. So those two interview, and if they like the candidate and the candidate kind of meets what we're looking for, then they're asked to come back and do another interview with Christina, me, Robbie, and Liza. So. Not only is it a good process for weeding things out, but it saves Christina, Christina and I a lot of time so we don't have to do the, the, um, those initial interviews. And so that's kind of the process. I mean, it, it's a little bit deeper than that, but that's, 
top line. You know? Okay. So the the best way to imagine a a team like this functioning is definitely through systems and and the operations behind what you're doing have to be very well detailed. How did you go about creating these systems and what can you recommend for people who are looking to duplicate a large business like this? Yeah. So our entire business, every lead that comes into our company comes to comes to our our CRM which is Infusionsoft. Okay. So we've we've used Infusionsoft since 2012 and we've just kept building on and building on it because the nice thing about Infusionsoft is you you know you kind of have like a, a pipeline and that pipeline is from new lead and then it, you know it runs through your call stages so we have you know every every stage has an action that happens within the back office so emails are sent out or text messages are delivered or you know phone calls are required to be made and then once they get through those first eight calls, they go into either long-term nurture or appointment set. If you if you set the appointment, obviously in one of the earlier calls, you know you just move into that that stage. And then an appointment set, you know the there's there's things that happen. ISAs are dispatching emails out to the the buyers agents and so on and so forth. Then they go into you know another stage and and it just keeps rolling through the process all the way to closing. And that's our contact management system to send out over 2,000 mailers a month to our sphere of influence and past clients and over wow. uh, 8,000 emails for our, our e-newsletter that goes out one, once a month. So, you know, we just keep building that database and that database is, is seriously what's pumped out $750,000 of gross income for us already this year. Incredible. You know, so it's a it's a pretty awesome system and, and that's, you know, it's just like taking something, sticking is with that, it, whether it's top or... Did you or say gross income or net income? Um, that's gross then on, on that specific piece the just on the sphere of influence marketing so okay. our 33 touch this year has generated 133 sides um it's generated seven hundred fifty six thousand dollars of, of uh gross income and and the net on that is probably uh we're only, we've only spent twenty one thousand on on marketing to our sphere of influence and past clients so that's right around you know seven hundred and twenty thousand net income Incredible. in those on those marketing channels yeah okay so. and then how kind? Uh, what is the typical price range of properties that you guys are transacting? Yep. So two hundred forty-nine thousand eight hundred and ten dollars is our average price point right now. <laughs> okay. Not that you yeah. know exactly or anything. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, all right. Uh, can you can you kind of tell me about some of the challenges that you have faced in setting up this business? Um, what has yeah. been your biggest pain point? Well, I think one of the things that we didn't really get excited about until last year was um, kind of the idea of, of somewhat exiting and growing through others. You know, I was always like, oh, we just got to, you know, Christine and I just have to slay out all this, all the deals and we'll both do 100 to 150 tra sides every year and we'll be highly leveraged with showing agents and virtual assistants and assistants to be able to help us just transact at a high level. The problem is we have two young daughters um, one's, one is six months and one is two and almost three years old. And so the, the, the issue was that we were both, um, you know, working nights, weekends and, and just really, really strung out. And it wasn't much of a lifestyle when you're doing that, that mm -hmm. level of production. Mm -hmm. And so the pain point was trying to get a, a system in place where we could actually hire, recruit and hire people that were going to be able to, um, transact business and working out the splits was another thing to me, re remain profitable. You know, our listing side team generated split is 20, 24%. 
and our buyer side team generated split is 38%. So that means we're paying 38% to the buyer agent or 24% to the listing partner. And that was one of the things that we just were really, really serious about is like finding people that understood the model, understood they were going to have to sell 50 to 60 homes a year, but they're going to have, you know, a support staff and they're going to have people that were setting appointments for them. So they didn't have to really, um, worry about the marketing aspect of it, which is generating new leads or the, the prospecting aspect of it. They were literally just going to be going on appointments and taking people from appointment set to closing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we work off of numbers. And so, you know, it's, it's 30% is kind of the number we work off. If you want to sell, if you want to sell 30 homes a year, you need to go on a hundred appointments. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what we, we run off of. And, you know, the people that are going on higher appointments are going to sell more and the people that are going on lower are going to sell less. But, um, the pain points to go back to it though is like developing this team to become mini Kirby's or mini Christina's and, and ideally mini Christina's cause she's a much better salesperson than <laughs> I am. Um, so, you know, just working with them to, to be able to, to understand what it is that, what does your ideal day look like? It's prospecting from eight to nine, not necessarily new leads, but like calling your people that you've met with to get them out there to look at properties because if they look, they buy. And then, you know, pushing listings to people to get them engaged if they haven't looked at their search those are the types of things that we're trying to train our agents on and then working their pipelines to, you know, transact at the level that we do. Because I, I believe that every one of them within our system can sell, you know, 40 to 50 homes a year mm -hmm. and they can have a decent work-life balance. It's not like they're going to work, you know, around the clock to do that. Yeah. Definitely helps to take the, the processes that contribute to that out of the equation. So, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So... In addition to that, with the with the marketing that you're doing, do you have a a person in in house that is responsible for generating all the presentation materials and and or is that something that your company provides or how does that work? Yeah, so so we have a listing listing presentation that you know they. Our agent listing partners, Christine is one of them, and then then Eric is the other one. They both have iPads, so the listing presentation is done on the iPad. We do um, kind of a analysis called an equity evaluation that our um, we have an administrative assistant that kind of puts those together for Christina before she goes out. The virtual assistant's helping put those together, and probably takes Christina 15, 15 minutes to pull the comps for that report. And then the VA puts all the information into a spreadsheet. That spreadsheet's printed and sent to Kelsey and Kelsey then prints it and it's ready to go for Christina for her appointment. So, you know, the prep for Christina is, is about 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, and then she has to drive there. So, okay. you know, that's kind of the process, but all of our marketing is done by our in-office marketing coordinator. Mm -hmm. And so we have a person on our staff that literally puts together, we have a, a farm campaign. There's a newspaper that goes out to 21,000 homes in Plymouth every month. And that is put together by Ashley, who's our marketing coordinator. And, you know, she then does our newsletter, our Just Listed, Just Sold postcard, the design work on all that. And we actually hired a guy, um, a VA virtual assistant that's now working with us um, to do a lot of that design work and, and video editing and, and whatnot. So, you know, we're trying to leverage as much as we can and trying to find folks, um, offshore folks, whether it's the Philippines or wherever it might be, that speak really good English, but the labor rate is just a little bit cheaper. So we've been able to leverage that and, and to be able to get more productivity out of our dollar um, with solid people that are super happy to make the money that, that they're being offered um, because it's a good standard of living over there. So we've been able to really start to think through how we can we can use virtual assistants at a high level. Um, and that's one thing that's really helped with our profitability over the last year and a half to two years. So these virtual assistants are enduring relationships that you have 
cultivated and, and turned into basically they, they work full time for you or are they also work yeah, for yeah. other people. Okay. No, all of our virtuals that we have four and they're all, they're all full time. So we have 120, no, that'd be 160 hours a week that we have from these, these four folks that put it, you know, they, they pour their life into our business and it's really their life into our business. And it's really awesome. They're, they're, you know, some of the, the work ethic that they bring to the table is some of the best on our team. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's really cool to be able to see what's being put out. And, and, you know, one of them is a full, you know, the full-time listing coordinator, just pulling together everything that, that needs to be pulled together to get transactions done. And so that's a really cool thing for our team to be able to you know, leverage, leverage the listing coordinator in that way. Awesome. Yeah. So as you mentioned, work-life balance and the, the structure of your family is, is so important. And actually the design behind this show is, is to incorporate a really good work-life balance and to encourage people to have a great sense of fulfillment from their work, but also mm-hmm. be able to, to enjoy their life outside of their work. Um, can you tell me more about what's really important to you and your family and, and how you are creating that for yourself? Yeah. I mean, Christina and I really, you know, we were pretty, um, pretty faith-based folks. So, you know, making sure that we have the, the consistency of, of the time around that, whether it's getting to church on Sunday or whether it's spending time in the mornings, just reading, reading to our daughters. Um, you know, that's, that's a big thing for us. So, you know, Christina has been able to, um, over the last year, even though she sold 120 homes this year, she had a baby in January. Our, our daughter was born. Lucia was born in January. So she took all of February off. And now she's taking off um, because of how our team is structured and how, how Bonnie and her work together. Uh, she takes off Thursdays all day. She doesn't work on Sundays. And she only goes on appointments on Saturday morning. So wow. she's working, you know, like a pretty, pretty sick existence as far as like being a extremely high producing agent selling 120 homes a year. Um, already this year, she'll probably end of the year at, at 150 to 160. Incredible. Um, but she's, uh, she's, she's just, we've been able to, with the leverage points, been able to really get our leverage in order. And that's been huge because it allows for us to have this work-life balance. It's really awesome for me. I'm just like, I'm kind of addicted to system implementation and, and building businesses. And so, you know, I work 8am to 5:30 or six o'clock, you know, Monday through Friday for sure. And uh, Christina doesn't like me to work much on the weekends. Otherwise I would, but you know, so that's kind of my work schedule is, is, and that's by, you know, I, I could work a lot less if I wanted to, like I, I could pretty much check out and, and not do anything, but I'm, I'm starting to build other businesses and get some other things set up mm-hmm. with, uh, another business partner. And so that, that's been my focus now that I'm not necessarily in production on a day in and day out basis. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm very much into, a daily practice that I follow and uh, I like a success habit structure that has helped me to achieve what I'm doing. Are you in a routine? Do you have that kind of a system in your life? Is that something that's important to you? Yeah. So we, Christina and I both, you know, we're pretty disciplined when it comes to, to working out. So that's one thing that, you know, we both do, a, you know, whether it's kettlebell, like, you know, kind of a 20 to 30 minute kettlebell routine or getting on the treadmill and, and busting out a mile or two or, or three or whatever it ends up being. But, you know, we do have that consistency. And then um, I think just a lot of family time. One thing that we that's been able to really um, make our work life balance better is we since we've been married, which is six years coming up in September, awesome. um, we we haven't owned a television and haven't ever watched like a movie together in the theater. 
Um, so, you know, we, we really don't spend a lot of time doing the stuff that a lot of folks do, which can really suck away time. We spend a lot more time talking, interacting with our daughters. So it's, um, it's really, it's, it's just, it's just awesome to kind of have that. I wouldn't call it a routine because I think it's the opposite of routine. It's, it's not getting in the routine of certain things that can be time sucks, like mm-hmm. watching television or whatever. So the routine that we have is to not be in a routine and that's been able to really give us a lot of peace for our work-life balance, you know? Awesome. So who do you surround yourself uh, with and, and what kinds of people are you looking to bring into your sphere and into your life? Yeah. Well, I mean, coaching is huge. So we've coached with Kinder Reese, um, Mike, Mike uh, Reese and Jake, Jake Kinder. They're at the National Association of Expert Advisors. Those guys are legit. They've done a great job of building a lot of people's businesses. We were in their high-level mastermind group, which is, you know, it's a... Uh, pretty expensive to be in that and and the people that we were able to meet through that have been awesome so you know other agents across the nation that are doing 150 to 400 sides a year um many of them on the wall street journal list for top you know top thousand and then um i'm also now in a group with with a guy uh well i'm not he's he's leading he's the the um founder of the real estate b school lars hedenborg who has a top level coach and has a you know has been for about a year and a half to two years and he's got a really solid group of people in his, um, in his group, I think 70 folks, Mm. number of them doing, you know, 300 transactions, a lot of them doing, you know, 50, 60 plus, which is, is a pretty significant as a solo agent. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's just helping people build their business. So I'm in, I'm in his top level coaching group right now. And then we just joined, um, another coaching group. So we, we left, um, NAEA and, and joined Lars and, and um, Lars has taken us a long way, and, and we're just kind of figuring out next steps with him. But we're we're going to get into uh, some maps coaching. So even though we're we're not Keller Williams, we're with Remax. We're going to be sure. coached by a maps coach now. So um, I, I've got nothing but respect for Gary Gary Keller and what he's doing over there at KW. And I just think it's a it's a good business, and you know they offer a lot of growth to people that want it. And so you know my thing is just you know to build our business. We've always um, we've always done what we could to seek out models and people that are doing it better than us and Mm -hmm. try and learn as much as we possibly can from them and put that stuff into our business. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, have you had an, I've made it moment? Um, I think, I think, uh, you know, one of my big, my big, I mean, I, I had, I had one today cause I got a, a rent check, um, for one of my rental properties. Mm hmm. I have, we have nine rental properties now and the cash flow on those, um, you know, we have a mortgage, but the, the net rent on our, our nine rentals is about 4,000 a month right now, Mm -hmm. about 48 grand a year. And so, you know, when I, whenever I get a rent check in the mail and I open it up, that's an, I've made it moment because my true long-term vision is to own a hundred, a hundred rental properties that are completely free and clear and just be completely independent of, you know, the market as far as the stock market shifting or whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. because I know that all these properties are going to be leased out, whether leased out for 500 bucks a month or 2,500 bucks a month, as far Mm -hmm. as the lease goes, I just know that I'm going to have a consistent cash flow coming in. And so for me, that's kind of the, the dream of getting to that hundred, you know, hundred paid off properties and, and being able to say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm netting, you know, right around it's a lot of cash i mean if you if you can you know if you could get 100 paid off and 2500 yeah. a month or so yeah that's... well i mean it, it's it's the 
for me, it's I, I'm figuring that with the rates here in Minnesota after expenses and everything, it'll be twelve about you know roughly ten thousand um, dollars is what you're going to net annually, mm-hmm. and so it'd be right around a million bucks is kind of the incredible the number. Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm I'm thinking I want to be in in basically twenty twenty five years. Okay, how did you start to make your first acquisitions of investment properties? What was your first so the, acquisition? Yeah, so the home I bought was a overpriced short sale when the market just started to turn in 2006 and that's that's my first rental property so I live in a different house now we, we refinanced that one so that was my first one I, I bought it rehabbed it you know couldn't sell it decided to keep it as a rental refined it into a 15-year brought cash $28,000 of cash to the table to refinance it mm-hmm. um, and that one now is is cash flow on a 15-year 11 years left to pay that thing off and um, you know we're, we're positive as far as equity goes by about um, you know eighty thousand dollars on that one property so that's pretty cool just to be there so that was my first one but since then it's just been you know when I find a, a sleeper deal or I find something that just looks too good to be true on the MLS I'll, I'll um, you know I'll, I'll write an offer Nothing. and if we get it cool if not you know but it's just always looking for those those ones that are gonna gonna our my my metric is 400 bucks a month cash flow on a 30 year mm-hmm. or else a positive $100 cash flow on a, on a 15. Okay. So that's kind of the model I, I operate off of. Do you have uh, a number of units that you have to acquire each year to, to meet your goal of a hundred units or, or what's. Yeah. So it's all written out in a business plan. Um, this year, as we're, as we're building up and building our, our relationships, it's a, it's a hundred. I mean, not a hundred, it's uh it's 10 to, per, to acquire this year. And we're we're doing a flip. We're doing a couple of flips right now. So that's kind of been the fuel. Is we'll flip one and then we'll use that money for the down payment on the next one. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we're we're working on. And then obviously the money that we generate from these, from our real estate business and the construction business that uh, my business partner owns and operates. Um, you know, a lot of that money just flows right into down payments for these next properties. And our income is it's pretty good. So the banks they kind of like to loan to us because we have good in- income. So mm-hmm. you know that's kind of where we're at right now. But you know the. The long term is to have a you know the real estate business, the construction business, a property management business, and um, an inspection business. I wouldn't own either one of those the the construction or the inspection business just because there's a conflict of interest there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that's that's something that I'm looking to have uh, to have my business partner set up and and just kind of run and pull cash out of and and keep putting them into rental properties because the return on investment for that. The the cash on cash return for rental properties is just out of sight mm-hmm. when you look at any, any other investment out there. So all of the investment properties that you are acquiring are local, or are you doing yep. investment? Okay. Right so. now they're all local, single family. We have we have one uh, one fourplex. Otherwise, they're all single family. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, what kinds of relationships have you forged in your business uh, or focused on that have been the most profitable for you. You mentioned a relationship with someone who's a contractor. Is new construction sales a big part of of the number of transactions that you guys are doing or or Yeah. So we we just landed an account with a builder in, in town here that does high end kind of luxury types of property. And that hasn't been a piece of our business yet, but that relationship will go a long way over the next couple of years mm-hmm. um, to really fuel our growth. But um, you know the the relationships that I, I focus on are kind of the client relationships. As weird as that sounds, we've had um, one of our our listing partners is now our 
he was a client three years ago. He bought his house three years ago, like last week. And so oh, wow. he was a client working as an engineer and, and then he went and got his MBA and I just stayed in touch and got breakfast and hung out with him. And, you know, he's, he's super, he's super talented and, mm-hmm. and he joined the team and he's done 35 transactions already this year. Um, he's leading our team behind Christina as far as agents go. And so, you know, it's really cool to see him being successful and being happy. Uh, his previous career as an engineer, he wasn't exactly thrilled about wearing a hard hat, steel toe boots and safety glasses and to work every day. And so now he's able to, you know, kind of wear the, the suit and tie and look professional and, you know, kind of do the, the things that he's always wanted to do. So it's really cool. Um, the relationships, I think, with our clients are the biggest, you know, and then our mortgage officer, we have one mortgage officer that's just been on a dynamic partner and you know helping us helping each other grow our businesses and that's been really cool too so okay um how do you leverage that relationship with a mortgage partner and are are your agents uh that are representing your buyers encouraged to utilize that service or or what is the kind of yeah so so he's just i mean he does he's one of the top mortgage officers in the state um and he has a big business, and and for us, it's just the service is is a is so huge because that's how you get referrals and that's how you get repeat clients. And so, when we refer them over to to Bob, um, we just know they're going to be taken care of. And so our our agents are highly encouraged to refer them over to Bob and at least get a a rate look from him, even if they're shopping other people. Mm-hmm. We just say, hey, you should really consider looking at Bob. He's got the best rates out there, and he's you know he's also his service is is so so much a bit ahead of any other mortgage officer that we've worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, email response time, 15 minutes or less, always on it with his phone, you know, just like that customer service, making sure the clients like first is, is definitely his, his number one priority. And so, you know, that, that relationship has been huge. He came to our, we, we host a barbecue every year and we had that July 14th this year, we had 360 people, um, register for that and come out. And so that was kind of cool. Um, but Bob was, was one of the, the vendors that we showcased and he gave away a set of tw- twins tickets. So, you know, giving back to our clients too is another big deal. And, and that's one thing that Bob's got a, a, you know, a hard for is making sure that the client is always, you know, uh, taken care of. Are there any other community building events that you are a part of for your clients besides like the barbecue or, or anything else that you do on a consistent basis? Yep. So three times a year we do, we call them events. One of them is not really an event, but so we do that July barbecue. That's kind of our big one. This year we gave we gave away so the the prizes we gave away about I think thirty prizes in, as wow. far as drawings go, and then we had a big uh, check that was two thousand six hundred and sixty bucks for the two hundred and sixty six transactions that we did last year, mm-hmm. and so we gave away two one thousand dollar checks and then a six hundred and sixty dollar check to just randomly drawing our past clients out of there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was really, really fun. The previous year we gave away a thousand. So every year that we, we grow and we keep, you know, kind of just putting a zero at the end of whatever number we sell. And that's what we're going to give away as far as the cash goes. Cool. Um, so that's one of the big ones. And then we do a pie giveaway every, every Thanksgiving. So mm-hmm. we just have sent out a couple of emails and a, and a RSVP card, and then people can swing by our office and pick up one of the giant Costco pies for free. And cool. I think last year we gave away 170 of those. Awesome. And then in Febu- February, we, we uh, give out our sphere of influence and our past clients. We all give them a Valentine's Day treat. So on Valentine's Day, we, we send out like a, a little box of, Mar- is it Marshall, not Marshall Fields, Mrs. Fields cookies. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all get a box of those in their mailbox. So that's kind of cool. Cool. Yeah. Tell me about the relationships that you have with colleagues and how your team is perceived in the local marketplace. 
Well, I think in Plymouth we're definitely respected and a little bit, um, you know, people are people are also a little bit like, I don't know, they don't. No one likes the biggest the biggest team. I was I was actually on Zillow today because I I wanted to we we at our barbecue we we put um, a stand out there for people to review us and so mm-hmm. we had all those people come through but a lot of those reviews haven't hit yet so I was kind of looking at that but I pulled up this the Plymouth market and we have sold 58 homes in the past 12 months. The next closest team has sold 16. Wow. And so. You know, we're, we're definitely dominating in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think a lot of people like that. And we just continue to thrive on that dominance and, and show our clients even like how much more dominant we are by using statistics and marketing, you know, data, uh, market data to, to kind of support our dominance. And so that doesn't get you a lot of friends. But I don't think that anybody is ever is ever like, man, these guys are a total pain to work with because, you know, we, we are very clean with our transactions. We always mm-hmm. keep everything above um, above board and and it's really um, it's really a, a good a good process that we work through with with our with our you know um, the agents we compete with and partner with to get deals done so I, I think mm-hmm. that you know overall we're pretty respected and people in the community definitely um, like that about us cool do you have any success quotes that have been especially meaningful to you that you would like to share with the audience yeah, I mean, I, one of the one of the ones that jumps to mind right around, right off the top of my head is the Henry Ford quote: "Whether you think you can or you can't, you're right." Mm-hmm. And um, I've always, you know, I just live with that glasses half full approach to my business. And if it's not working, and there's a, there's somebody that's done it before us that that has made it work, and so we're gonna figure out a way to do it. Um, or if there's an inefficiency, you know, we can make it better versus oh, that's never gonna work. That's that's not part of my my language or vocabulary. So I think that's, that's one quote that I, you know, I just, I just think that when you think you can do it and you put your action and you kind of come up with a strategy around it, like you're going to get stuff done. And that's mm-hmm. been one of the biggest, the biggest drivers for our success is like literally just thinking through how other people have done it, finding a system and a model and then implementing that model and that system into our business. And that's been what's, you know, kind of propelled us to, you know, this year we're going to do over 300 sales and, and uh, we're pretty excited about that. It's awesome. I'm a strong believer in that self-fulfilling prophecy. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm curious how you handle situations where people around you have a negative energy and how can you work through dealing with the stuff that other people are bringing to the table and continuing on a good yeah. solid path? Um, negative energy is a tough one for me. I've, I've always had a tough time with that. Um, when it's on our team, we try, we definitely try and cut it out like cancer, you know, give them kind of do the chemotherapy first, uh, give them a probation period. But if it just doesn't change, we've, we've had to let people go and that's always sad, but it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where, you know, if the, if the team it's not working with the team environment, it's, it, it's gotta be kind of cut out of the mix. Sure. Um, from a neg- negativity perspective, like I'm always asking questions. I'm a big, big question based selling uh, there's a book called question based selling. And that's one thing that I'm, I'm huge, a uh, huge believer in. And I think that the more questions we can ask as human beings, we're, we're in control of the conversation. So asking why, you know, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like you're, you, you have a negative feeling about this specific situation. Can you tell me why? Mm-hmm. And drawing people out has always been something I've tried to use as the, the way to, to really get to the bottom of it. Cause sometimes, you know, people, they're being negative for, or they may not even realize they're being negative. So like that question kind of, it, it just changes their state of mind mm-hmm. and it allows them to rethink about what they're saying and the words they're using. But sometimes the reason that they're negative is because 
they're just you know having a bad day or something at home happened and they get they get shifted and so a lot of the folks that we bring to our team you know we don't have a ton of that because I, I only believe in hiring and keeping self-managed people. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have to manage a lot of those folks and their attitudes. It's, um, it's, it's a lot of the clients that kind of be kind of get the Debbie Downer attitude sometimes. So we try and, you know, just use questions to get that, the train back on the tracks and mm-hmm. keep it moving in the right direction. So we're all going to win. Have you created any kind of a, uh, a design around who your ideal client is and who, you would like to work with? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the people that we keep finding that we have the most success with are the corporate folks that are in that, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter price point, but just anybody that's like a corporate type of um, buyer or seller just really understands our model and our team mm-hmm. system. Um, you know, we, we found that to be a sweet spot for us where they're they, they, they like efficiency, they like um, minimal communication, but knowing that everything's being taken care of because mm-hmm. they're busy too. And so we found that to be a really good, um, you know, a, a good thing for our team to be able to it's... transact business. With. Yeah. And so that's been, that's been one of the, the things that we've kind of tried to look for. And, and you know, it's, it's tough when you're farming to market to a specific niche because everybody's getting your paper and you're trying to cast your net as wide as possible. Mm-hmm. And we've we've done a really good job of just getting you know kind of adjusting personality type our personality type to other people's personality types. But if I had to say that you know what an ideal client is, it would be the the corporate um, type of person that you know just really understands efficiency in teams. Okay. Can you tell me if uh, if you've let's let's pause. Um, what's the best business or life advice that you've ever received? If you can't afford to track, you can't afford to market. So basically, if you can't afford, you can't afford to market if you can't afford to track is a better way to state it. Mm-hmm. And um, that was from Jay Kinder. And I just took that to heart and, and just really decided to track everything with regard to my business. So right mm-hmm. now, I've started to track, you know, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but I know exactly how many appointments we've set this year and how many we've met with this year. It's 1,000. 59 set appointments and 647 met appointments. Okay. You know, I know those numbers like off the top of my head um, because I was looking at our track earlier today. You know, the, the numbers that I I know every lead source. I mean, not off the top of my head like that, but I know mm-hmm. every lead source. Um, how many how many leads have we generated? How many appointments have we set? And how many appointments have we met from those leads? Mm-hmm. And then I can tell you the cost. How much does it cost me to meet with somebody in a specific lead channel? Mm-hmm. So, like on our farm, we're spending about 900 bucks to meet with somebody, but our conversion rate is about 38%, mm-hmm. where I'm spending about 300 bucks to meet with a, a Tiger lead or a Boomtown, but our conversion rate is quite a bit less on those leads. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's just understanding the efficiency of a lead and understanding the efficiency of your marketing dollar. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I've, you know, taken into heart in my business. And every business that we've, we're, built, we're going to build now, every piece of marketing that we're going to do, it's really understanding those metrics, like how much does it cost me to meet with somebody, and then what's with that specific lead source, how likely am I com- to convert that person to a sale? Because ultimately, the only the only way you make money in any service business is the the appointment. You make money mm-hmm. when you meet with them, and so that's that's what I've just gotten really pigheaded discipline about understanding and really knowing is what is the true cost for me to meet with this specific lead source, and how likely is that met appointment to turn into a sold mm-hmm. buyer or seller. I don't think that's a figure that many people are tracking. I think that a lot of people 
do calculate like a cost per lead, but yep. they are not, um, they're not bringing that total number together. And it's a lot yeah. easier to dismiss that appointment if you're not thinking about the fact that that appointment cost you $300 to obtain. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's a pretty amazing way to, I, I mean, honestly, I think people could really take that as a, a gem of wisdom to, to really implement yeah. in their business. Yeah. So you mentioned the millionaire real estate agent. Are there any other books that you'd recommend to the listeners of the show? Yeah, the, um, there's several, but the one, the one that not many people know about that I think is like a must read for, and it's a really easy read is, um, how I raised myself from success to failure in selling. Mm -hmm. It's a short little book. It's by, by a guy named Frank, I think it's Betker. Um, but that book really, it was built, written, written back in the thirties, but I mean, it's, it's just sales one-on-one, you know, mm -hmm. and it's how do you, how do you literally raise yourself from, uh, from failure to success by doing cer certain daily habits that change how you transact your either real estate business or sales business in general. So, um, so that book I would I would highly recommend. Um, the other one that I think is is absolutely essential for both business and personal life is the Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Mm -hmm. That book really changes the way that you think about every little itty bitty decision that you make every single day how that compound effect adds up over five years, 10 years, 15 years. And like, mm. even if you decide to, you know, to grab one handful of potato chips every single day, it's just one handful, mm -hmm. but you do that over the course of five years, the impact that'll have on your health by you change nothing else besides that one handful of potato chips, mm -hmm. it'll be pounds and pounds and pounds, you mm -hmm. know? So we, and none of us think about that. And so with our real estate business, like the, the inefficiency of calling, a specific lead source that may not have like has a, a bad you know the their the bad numbers ratio you know like so you get a 100 leads 60% of those are bad numbers well that's 60 60 phone calls that i had to make um and the compound effect of that versus like generating 100 leads where only 20% are bad numbers mm -hmm. so that you know there's a compound effect month after month after month for the inefficiencies in your business mm -hmm. so that's why I track all that stuff because there's a compound effect to going on you know and calling you know all these leads and and making all these these uh, sales appointments and the more efficient the lead source the the greater the compound effect the greater the time the lower the time it is for my agents to transact the business and the more profitable we're going to be you know, mm -hmm. so these are the things that I kind of piece together in my brain about, you know, what books that I read and how that translates to my business. I am a follower of a blogger named James Altucher. And on the inverse of that, he's talking about the 1% rule and becoming 1% better every day. So as you discuss, like the, the handful of potato chips, if you can make a positive gain each day, then that compounds in the exact opposite way and, and becomes a positive influence in, in your life. And look at how much further you are ahead just a year later or two years later. So that's oh, yeah. it's a pretty Absolutely, amazing man. school of thought. For sure. Um, what excites you and drives you every day? What are you getting out of bed jumping for joy to do? Yeah, I mean, I think that as weird as it sounds like business planning, like sitting down and putting together a business plan and then building the systems and the tools to get that thing up and running without mm -hmm. me needing to be in it is what kind of drives me 
Um, I, I'd say that, you know, my, my big why is truly my family and being able to spend quality time with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I just, I really do have, I feel like I've got a gift for business and for understanding business and for implementing systems and tools to make businesses more efficient. So that's one thing that I like to live in. Um, you know, and, and the other thing that, you know, that excites me is kind of like just, um, the idea of, of having something that's going to be here for 300 years after I'm gone, you know, that kind of gets me excited as weird as that sounds, but like if we can build businesses that are, uh, that stand the test of time and are able to operate without me, like, uh, you know, as Rockefeller started standard oil, which is now Exxon mobile, which is one of the largest businesses in the world. You know mm-hmm. I mean? That's just crazy to think about, um, how one guy can, you know, start as a clerk in a, in a, kind of an accounting office that, and then become the, one of the richest people in the history of the world in a matter of a lifetime. But not only that, his legacy can last for, you know, thousands of years. Cause I, I doubt Exxon's going to go out of business anytime soon, you know? So it's that kind of thing that I just, I think can, and that can impact lives, the way that we run our business, the way that we, you know, treat, train managers to treat people and, and how to build them up. I think those are things that, you know, in, in 150 years from now, um, you know, I'm not going to be here, but there's going to be some traces of how we set this thing up and, and mm-hmm. hopefully it's still running and it's still impacting people to want to come into work every day and do a good job and, and service the clients, whether it's the real estate business or the construction business or whatever other businesses we decide to start in the next, you know, 50, 60 years, mm-hmm. um, whatever that might be. Uh, hopefully that those things are still going because of the systems and the processes that we set up on the front end. Awesome. What would you say your dream for your life is? Um, I mean, I think to to impact as many people with with uh, you know solid jobs to be a, a really to give people an opportunity to work in environments that you know a lot of people hate their job, and I don't. I would say that very few. I don't think anybody on our on any of our teams. We have probably twenty three people across the construction business that we you know Robbie starting in the real estate business, you know, actually it's probably 30 now, um, 30 people that come into work and really are excited about what they do. Cause mm-hmm. you know, work's a part of life and it's, it's kind of one of those things that, um, that's always going to be there. And so if you can come in and, and enjoy what you do and enjoy the people that you're with, like that makes your life a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. And then going back to the compound effect, if you can do, you, you can enjoy your work for 30 years, like your life is going to be drastically different than if you showed up and you're working in the salt mines and the people that you work with just are terrible to work for. Um, or work with over 30 years. I think that that's, that's one of the things that, you know, I want to leave for a legacy, but, mm-hmm. you know, also, um, you know, just being able to give, give our, our kids, uh, the opportunity to live a life that they never thought possible and to do and see the things that they never thought possible would be mm-hmm. another kind of lifelong legacy thing too. So incredible. Can you recommend an action step that listeners can take today to bring them closer to achieving their vision of their life? I mean, in 2011, December, November, December of 2011, Christina and I sat down and we wrote our business plan and we wrote our big, hairy, audacious goal um, in 2011 for the 25-year vision of our business that we were going to sell 250 homes a year to, that was like our out of this world, like we never thought it'd be possible, 250 homes a year. And in 2014, we sold 266. Incredible. So the, the nugget is that if you don't write it down, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's something about written goals that I just I 100% believe in. I've got a, 
I've got a uh, leather-bound black book, and it has about 15 pages of written goals, personal business, and business plans that I, you know, I try to update quarterly, and I do, I do update quarterly. Mm-hmm. Um, that I reprint and just have, and I, I browse through them and I think about them because that that stuff, when it's on your brain, like it allows you to um, to just continue it with a focus that you you didn't think possible. Mm-hmm. Are you? I'm sorry. To continue with a focus every day and you don't get distracted by the squirrels and all the things that can come up. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, a huge one that I think people, you know, if, if you can sit down and write out a, you know, a, a vision for your life and, and then start to work towards that, it's mm-hmm. going to be massively different than if you didn't do that. Have you ever had a day that you just, you feel completely helpless about what's happening around you and you just needed to, take yourself out of that and, and refocus your energy in a positive way? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely days where you get, you know, frustrated and you just want to like quit and be like, man, it'd be so much easier just to go back to corporate America and punch the clock, show up eight to five. And, you know, (laughs) but I I just, you know, I, I think that when I get like that, my wife is really, She's really good at encouraging me. That's one thing that we're both really good at is she has days like that and I'll have days like that. Mm-hmm. And we just, you know, we're, we're kind of there for each other to encourage each other. So, you know, I don't know if, I don't know what I'd do without, without Christina as my business partner and, and life partner. Cause it's, it's, uh, it's really helped us both get out of that doldrum sometimes. But, um, but yeah, we, we both had, had days like that and it's been, it's been something that we, we've, you know, just tried to change our state, get into a different state, you know, use that positive focus nature that we both have to, to kind of push through it and, and realize that there's, you know, tomorrow's another day and it'll be better. So awesome. Is there anything that I missed? Anything you think that we should share with the people who are listening to the show? Um, I mean, the one thing that I, I would say is like, if you're listening to the show and you are a solo agent and you're doing 24, 36, you know, 40 home sales a year and you're, you're thinking about growing. Um, I would just really encourage you to take that first step of, of vetting out the assistant and getting an assistant to take that non-dollar productive activity off your plate. Um, if you want to grow your business and you want to have the lifestyle that you really want, you've got to have a full-time assistant to be able to, to get you to that next level and to be able to allow you to do more business. So I think that's one thing that, you know, that first big step for me was like telling Christina, you can leave your $42,000 a year, you know, nonprofit job and join me. And I think we'll be able to do better than that. Mm-hmm. That was the first step. And then the second step was a year later when we decided to hire a $40,000 a year, um, full-time assistant, you know? Mm-hmm. And so once we did that, we went from, you know, when Christina joined me, I went from 27 to 60 sales. And then the following year when, when Liza joined us, we went from 60 sales to 120 sales. Wow. And the net revenue that year, I think we made 500 grand that year when we were worried two years ago, two years before that, if we were going to, um, be able we to afford make, yeah, 40 grand. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, if you have a strategy, you execute on that strategy and then you, you kind of hold your money and your systems accountable to, to where you're going, like you're going to be able to add leverage over the course of time. And once you add that leverage, it'll allow you to scale your business to, mm-hmm. to levels that you never thought possible. And that's kind of where we're going right now is starting to think about what's the next iteration for us. And uh, as I was working through my business plan, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I was like, you know, I was looking at our, our 2000 and, uh, and our 10 year vision. And with this year being close to hitting 330, maybe 360 sides, I, mm-hmm. I said, 
you know, our, our 10 year vision was 500 sales. And I said, that's too low. And so, you know, we're now looking, what does 1500 sales look like for our team? Hmm. That could, that's something that our 10 year vision is like, I, I believe that could be a reality for 10 years from now. So wow. I think just taking that, that first step of, of asking Christina to join me and foregoing her $42,000 per year, um, you know, that was, that was a big step, but looking mm -hmm. back, it was the best decision we ever made. And I'd say that awesome. anybody that's out there thinking about hiring, they should definitely, you know, make that a priority. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Well, cool. I, I'm so grateful that you could share your knowledge and, and your time with me today. And I'm very appreciative of our friendship over these past few years. And I'm sure that the listeners of the show are going to really appreciate the knowledge that you've shared and yeah, thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on and look forward to uh, future editions. Well, there you have it, shifters. Thank you again to my guest, Kirby Skurat. If you'd like to connect with Kirby, I'll link to his profiles in this episode's show notes at dialdominic.com slash 14. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode and that Kirby systems have sparked something in you that will help you to make improvements to the way you do something in your life or your business. I truly find the way that Kirby and Christina operate their business and their team with such efficiency to be inspiring and motivating. I hope you do too. If you like this episode, please be sure to share it with someone that you think will find it valuable. And if you haven't already subscribed to the show in either iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, or Stitcher, please do so so you'll be notified when new episodes hit the air. I'll be back soon with another inspiring episode of Real Shift Radio. So until next time, shifters, keep it real. Keep it real.